This is the first Sunday of our family month series. We are uh, going to take a little break from Hebrews, which is hard for me to do because I've been enjoying Hebrews. We'll come back to it in a month. But uh, we're going to spend the next four weeks looking at the family in 3D. And today, to introduce that, we're looking at Colossians chapter 3, verses 18 through 21. If you'd like to look there or look on the screen, I will read it for us. Colossians chapter 3, verse 18. Wives, submit to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives, and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. The instructions in our text will be impossible to follow if they're undertaken apart from the Lord. And, and that is the key to this text and to our theme for the entire family month. We must learn to approach others, even our nearest and dearest, in the Lord. All our relationships can be and ought to be conducted in him independence on him, with confidence in him, and the strength he provides to fulfill his will and accomplish his purpose. Remove our actions from that context, from being in the Lord, and the best we can do is act on religious platitudes or conform to legalistic traditions. It makes all the difference in the world, for example, whether a wife submits to her husband in the Lord or in herself. All the difference between joy and grief freedom and compulsion, compliance to rules or reverence for Christ. Learning to live in the Lord, to submit, yes, but also to work in the Lord, to dream in the Lord, to boast in the Lord, to hope in the Lord, to love in the Lord, can transform your life and your family. When an entire family is learning to live this way, when they see everything that happens in relation to the Lord, that is when they develop depth perception, that family will have an impact on the world for generations. Some families don't live in the Lord, they live in the money. And I don't mean they have money, whether they have money or not doesn't make any difference. The important thing is that they see everything that happens in relation to money. Life doesn't have spiritual depth for them. It has economic depth. They don't dwell in the shadow of the Almighty, but in the shadow of the Almighty dollar. That kind of family will not have impact for generations. They'll probably not be speaking to each other in this generation. Now, we're going to think about families this morning, but first, I want to make clear that learning to live in the Lord is not just for families. It's for everyone. It's for singles, for never marrieds, for the divorced and widows. It's for families. It's for the young. It's for the old. We can learn to encounter all of life's situations in the Lord, whether at school or at the retirement home, at work or in the kitchen, in joy or in sorrow. The Greek phrase that's translated here as in the Lord appears 48 times in the New Testament. We're to learn to do lots of things in the Lord, everything in the Lord. 
And that is closely related to abiding in Christ. Let me give you some biblical examples of things we do in the Lord. We reason things out in the Lord. When we come to difficult questions about family, career choices, morality, theology, relationships, we ask the Lord to give us light, to inform our thoughts, to reason together with us. We think, and we think hard, but we do it in the presence of God, requesting his help and expecting to receive it. We receive people in the Lord. When we meet people for the first time, we welcome them for the Lord's sake and extend to them his love. When someone comes to ask for help or for forgiveness or to rebuke us or to serve us, we receive them with grace as though we're receiving Jesus himself. We receive them in the Lord. We do our work in the Lord. I don't know where you work, but you can work in the Lord in ways that honor him as if you were his employee. And you are. We approach opportunities in the Lord. We learn to submit the opportunities that come our way, both those that excite us and those that leave us cold. We learn to submit them to the Lord for his direction. We say, Lord, is there something in this that you have for me? We look to see if this opportunity provides a way to glorify God. We encounter difficulties in the Lord. Into every life, into your life, difficulties will come that you would much rather avoid. Sickness, grief, hardship, hostility, poverty. A lot of us are going through those things right now. We don't run away from them. Rather, we face them in the Lord. We offer ourselves to the Lord even in these situations, praying for strength and for help, ready to suffer for his name if need be. We learn to hope for future events in the Lord. We never look to the future except through the lens of the Lord's presence and his purpose. We submit our plans to him and remind ourselves that he's in control. We trust his timing. We work out disagreements in the Lord. Disagreements come and are not in themselves a bad thing, but they quickly lead to some very bad things if we try to win them in our pride rather than resolve them in the Lord. The person who comes at a disagreement in the Lord does so in an entirely different way from a person who comes in his own pride. He, he comes with humility. He's able to extend love, not condemnation, to the person with whom he disagrees. We stand firm in adversity in the Lord. I got an email this week from a guy who reads my column somewhere else, and he said, our church is going through some real problems that have to do with social issues and changes and in their church and community. I'm going to write him back, and one of the things I'm going to tell him is, stand firm in the Lord. When we stand firm, we don't back down from what is right, but neither do we lash out in self-defense. We trust that the Lord is standing with us, and we stand firm. And when we get pushed, we lean into him, and he supports us. 
Those are a few of the in the Lord ways we encounter life. As I mentioned, there are 48 different times that phrase appears in the New Testament. People who learn to live in the Lord are never alone as they go through life. Never alone when they encounter trouble. Never alone when they set out to obey God. Henry Van Dyke put it this way, happy and strong and brave shall we be, able to endure all things and to do all things if we believe that every day, every hour, every moment of our life is in God's hands. Look back at our text. I want you to notice that there are no new relationships introduced into this passage. Uh, Don Angney tapes shows for us um, that are on cable television because we don't have that. And and for a while he was taping some show that was on the ABC Family Network. And the commercial would always bill itself as a new kind of family. This is the old kind of family. The relationship of husband and wife, wife and husband, parent to child, worker to boss, are God-ordained relationships that have been around since the dawn of time. Hundreds of years before Paul wrote his letter to the Colossians, the Greek philosopher Aristotle had identified the very relationships in this passage as the ones on which family is constructed. Some people seem to think Paul invented these categories in order to exclude certain groups. He did not. He simply accepted the categories that already existed. Long before Paul, moralists were calling on husbands to love their wives, wives to submit to their husbands, children to obey their parents. It is really only in the fleeting period of the last few decades that anyone has ever questioned the validity of these commands. They are not new. Paul does not introduce a single new principle into family life. He does, however, introduce a new dimension to the established principles. They're now to be practiced in the Lord. And that changes everything. Look at verse 18. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Now, wives, if you think that's unfair, then I challenge you to try it. I don't think that those who actually practice submission in the Lord think of it as unfair. They may think of it as hard. They may sometimes think that it's impossible. But they don't think it's unfair. And if they fail in the attempt, they'll wish it was otherwise. Paul says to wives, submission looks good on you. It fits you perfectly. It's very becoming. But then, husbands... He thought submission looked good on everybody. He tells us elsewhere to submit, for example, to the governing authorities. We're told to submit to younger people, to older people. Submit to people who are doing the Lord's work. Submit to our bosses. Submit to other Christians. See, it's not a question of whether or not any given person, man or woman, is required to submit because we all are, every one of us. The question is, to whom does God require me to submit? Only in the late 20th and early 21st centuries have people held a generalized view that submission is degrading. That's a new thing. In the Bible, everyone submits to someone. In fact, to several someones, starting with the Lord himself. For a wife, one of those someones is a husband. Now, maybe that seems impossible to you. I can tell you it will continue to seem impossible until you practice it in the Lord. 
more than that, it will be impossible until you practice it in the Lord. Let me give you an illustration. Suppose the church decided to hold an introduction to swimming class here on Thursday nights. And since you've never learned to swim, you decide you're going to come out. And each Thursday night, one of our expert swimmers, Matt Cooey, Matt Cooey was a lifeguard. Matt Cooey actually saved his wife's life in the ocean on their vacation, on their honeymoon. You know. So when you see him, ask, ask him about them. And he'll kind of puff up. <laughs> So we have Matt Cooley and Doreen Palmer say, teaching swimming essentials. They teach you how to float, they teach you how to tread water, how to dog paddle, how to freestyle, do a breaststroke, and more. On the night they teach you to tread water, you go home and you tell your spouse, it's just too hard. I mean, I can't get the hang of it, and it wore me out. Do you know why it would feel that way? Because you're practicing it in a classroom, not in a lake. It would be altogether different if you're treading water in a lake instead of a classroom. And so it is with relationships. Submitting to your husband or loving your wife or obeying your parents in your own strength is like treading water in a classroom. It's hard and tiring and frankly, a little ridiculous. But submitting to your husband or loving your wife or obeying your parents is a sensible and right thing to do when you do it in the Lord. The context makes all the difference. Now, I'm not going to go into detail about the specifics of submitting to husbands or loving wives or obeying parents. I've done that many times before. And if you're having trouble with that, talk to me. I do, however, want to clear away a few misconceptions. And first is this. The biblical instruction to wives here is to submit to husbands. And the biblical instruction here to husbands is to love wives. But Paul does not tell wives to make their husbands love them. Nor does he tell husbands to make their wives submit to them. And I'd better not hear any of our husbands saying that to their wives either. He tells husbands to love. Don't get those things mixed up. It always causes trouble. Secondly, wives often think and sometimes ask, why should I submit to him? I'm smarter than he is. I'm a better decision maker than he is. And then she lists all the stupid decisions he's made over the years. (laughs) And doesn't the Bible say that we're equal spiritually? So why should I be the one to submit? And you know what? That's a good question. You know what else? I don't know the answer to it. At least not all of it. I don't know why God set it up this way. But I believe I know this much. God tells you to submit to your husband because he needs it. He really does. And it's the same reason he told your husband to love you. Because you need it. You really do. God Wired husbands to run on, to be renewed, invigorated, and energized by respect. And he wired wives to run on, to be renewed, invigorated, and energized by love. It is our nature, and God's doing, it is our nature to need and seek these things. 
God made us that way. But because sin has profoundly damaged us, it is not our nature to give those things. We want to take in, take in, take in, but not give back out. So you know what? God wants to change our nature. He wants to transform us. He wants to rescue us from a life in which our needs tyrannize us and free us to start meeting the needs of others. And there is no better place to train for that than in marriage. When a man complains, she doesn't respect me. Or a woman says, he doesn't love me. They both have legitimate complaints. Those complaints are legitimate. But there is an underlying problem that must be addressed before those complaints can be resolved. I've seen it over and over again. As long as a person's focus is on what he or she is not getting instead of what he or she could be giving, real improvement will almost be impossible. But that real improvement only happens in a state of grace. That is, it only happens when we encounter each other in the Lord, not in our own strength. In verse 19, Paul tells husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. The word the NIV translates, be harsh, is really a passive voice verb, meaning make bitter. The idea here is that a husband can become a bitter pill for his wife to swallow, so much so that she will try to avoid him. And he has this effect on her, not so much because of what he's done, but because of what he hasn't done. He hasn't loved her. He hasn't made her feel loved. Look at verse 20. Their children are told to obey their parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord, or literally, for this is well-pleasing in the Lord. It's the very same phrase about wives submitting to their husbands in the Lord. Children who learn to obey their parents when they are young will be prepared to submit to their husbands and love their wives when they're older. What an enormous advantage it is in the Christian life to have parents who helped you learn to obey when you were young. But you do not help your child learn obedience by running roughshod over him or her. So Paul goes right on to say to dads, Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they'll become discouraged. The word that's translated embittered there is unrelated to the one I just told you, means to make bitter in verse 19. This one is related to the Greek word for strife. Here it describes the dad who is always approaching his kid with a hostile attitude, who says things like, what is the matter with you? Can't you do anything right it's almost like this dad is itching for a fight, and he'll get it. And he'll get it again and again and again, and he'll win those fights. But he will lose his kid. He'll snuff out his spirit. I've talked with people in this room who've experienced that. 
who as children grew discouraged. The word has to do with putting out a flame. Their spirits were snuffed out and they still remember it from 50, 60 years ago. Parents must learn to relate to their children in the Lord and not in their pride. In human relationships, there is always friction. Whether between spouses or between parents and children or employers and employees, that's normal. Like the friction that builds between piston and rod in your car engine. The oil in your engine prevents that friction from causing heat to build up to the point that it warps or it cracks the parts. But if the oil leaks out and isn't replaced, or it gets too dirty, the engine will seize up. It'll stop working. So in relationships, when we do relationships in ourselves and not in the Lord, that natural friction builds heat that causes damage. Relationships seize up and they stop working. But when the Spirit of the Lord is present between spouses, between parents and children, between bosses and employees, there is power rather than damage. That's what happens when we learn to encounter each other in the Lord. Now let me give you two ways you can take this information home and use it. First, each week during this family in 3D emphasis, there will be a weekly discipline to practice that will train you for doing family in the Lord. This week, the discipline is to acknowledge the Lord in all your ways. There's a sheet you can take home with suggestions on how to do that on the information table. Practicing this discipline will increase your depth perception. You will more frequently recognize the presence of God in your life and relationships and be able to act accordingly. And then let me suggest this to you. When you're about to pick up your kid from school or walk in the door after work or talk to your child about chores that ought to be done or homework or talk to your spouse about something that's bothering you, before you do that, as you're walking up to the door, acknowledge the Lord's presence with you. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Ask for his grace as you relate to that family member. Ask him to direct your thoughts, your words, extend his love through you. You might just be amazed at the difference that simple act makes. And not just in how your family member reacts, but in how you act. All right, let's pray together. God, we've all made lots of mistakes when it comes to family. And some of our families are hurting or even seized up and not working. And I pray that you will repair and heal and restore. And Lord, teach us to live in the Lord so that everything we do we do with gratitude in our hearts to you and to the glory of your son Jesus our Savior we ask for this in his holy name Amen